0: Hi, I'm Guy Powell, and welcome to the next episode of the Backstory on the Shroud of Turin. If you haven't already done so, please visit GuyPowell.com and sign up for more of these episodes. I am the author of the upcoming book, The Only Witness, a historical fiction tracing a possible history of the Shroud over the last two millennia. Today, we'll be speaking with Joe Marino. He is one of the preeminent researchers on the Shroud of Turin. We'll be talking about some of his recent papers, which can be found on academia.edu. Also, if you'd like, you can sign up for his newsletter at jmarino240 at aol.com. jmarino240 at aol.com. Before we get started, let me uh, tell you a little bit about Joe. He has a BA of Theological Studies from the University of St. Louis. He is a longtime syndinologist, that means a study, uh, somebody that studies the Shroud of Turin. He, is currently, uh, he has researched, written and lectured extensively on the Shroud since 1977, and currently works at the Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. As early as 1977, he was uh, fascinated through a book he read and since then he has been hooked on further study of the Shroud. He believes the shroud can be shown to be the true burial cloth of Jesus, but that would make it only an interesting archaeological object. However, he believes that it's much more important for the spiritual message that it can bring. As a former Benedictine monk and Catholic priest, Joe believes that organized religion has often depicted Jesus as an unreachable deity whose standards we can never reach. With his work, he hopes to show that the Shroud represents a more human Jesus, one, is, one who is so, uh, someone we can not only approach, but as indicated in the Gospel of John, a person we can even surpass in doing great things. It is his hope and desire that his work can get this message across, and it is his belief that this is the destiny to which he has been called, which is why is, he has been given the passion he possesses for the Shroud. Joe, welcome, and thanks for being here.
1: Thanks, Guy. Thanks for having me today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You've written so much on The Shroud and done so much. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the recent uh, activities you've been doing?
1: Well, um, uh, one little correction in the the bio. I'm I'm actually retired now from Ohio State University. Um, It'll be four years, actually, uh, coming up in October. And that's um, why I've been able to actually write so much recently. I have a feeling it could be curtailed a little bit. I got, got a new dog several months ago and uh, they can, uh, they're can they almost like having a kid. You have to keep your eye on them all the time. And yeah, with the first couple months I had it, um, I had a little mishap with him on a walk. He, he refused to walk and I, I had to carry him and I hit an uneven part of the sidewalk and took a, a nasty fall, which I'm just getting over now about six weeks later. And uh, then shortly after that, um, he had to have two uh, surgeries because of bladder stones, but he's recovered from that. So hopefully, the, the rest of our time together will be a little less uh, <laughs> catastrophic than than those two.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I think dogs are uh, just like having kids. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> and uh, after yeah. you've retired.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you know, when I when I did retire, I I just decided to start writing shortish, well, some short, some longer articles on what I consider to be the most, um, important aspects of the shroud. So, you know, stirps work and, and different questions that come up about the uh, radiocarbon dating and, and, um, just all sorts of topics. I think I've written about 60 articles, um, since, since I originally retired and, um, I just wanted to, you know, um, put the material out there and, and hope other people see it and uh, can incorporate it in their work and, and uh, flesh out some details that, you know, we're still trying to find out about the Shroud. Um, as I mentioned to you before, you know, before we actually got started, almost, almost anything, any point you bring up about the Shroud, you've got a critic out there that'll try to contest it. Um, but you know, my hope is to, you know, educate people with with um, as much solid data as possible. Some of my articles are just kind of straight bibliographies, and some are you know, regular articles um, of the normal kind. Uh, and and what's nice about the articles is that I have a lot of uh, hot links in in all of them that you know, people can, expand on it and, you know, do the, do their own research on it. I guess one of the things that irritates me most, especially after 45 years of doing this is that I see, um, a lot of people do videos, critics, you know, do three to five minute videos and, and pretend that they've, you know, debunked the shroud or Mm -hmm. something in three to five minutes. It's like, uh, no, you haven't quite done that yet. Um, and a, a lot of you know there are some skeptics that do homework but quite frankly you could tell just from their videos and from their writings that they haven't done much homework and the shroud is a very complicated subject okay it is literally the most important studied uh, the, the most intensely studied artifact i should say in human history and that's not just relics we're talking artifacts and periods so Um, there is no other object on the face of the planet that has had much as much research put into it as the shroud has so you know to just kind of blithely dismiss it and say oh this is a bad fake or you know i read my english language bible and he was you know it says linen strips so he was buried like a mummy so the shroud can't be real and it's it's like folks come on you have you have to do a little research so that's kind of you know the idea behind a lot of my articles is to try to educate people and and hope that they do further research because um you know i've been i've been doing this since the late 70s and i was a young guy back then and you know i'm i'm not so young anymore and, and we need to bring get some younger folks into the picture and uh Uh, you know what our science and technology has um, increased so much Mm. since the late 70s and it's really a shame that the church won't um, allow any additional testing and and, you know sources have told us that it probably won't happen with uh, Pope Francis he's got a, a background in chemistry so you think he might be open to it but you know I understand he's got other issues to take care of. But, you know, the church did allow uh, the Shroud of Turn research project five days in 1978. And um, all the basically all the research back then pointed toward authenticity. And then, you know, STERP wanted to do um, 27 or 26 tests, that is. Uh, so they they submitted to the authorities. Um, a proposal for those tests, which included C14. And the C14 labs that were interested in promoting C14 um, managed to petition the, the authorities to only do the C14 and to eliminate STERP from all their other tests. And that, that turned out to be a disaster. Um, you know, Strep should have been allowed to at least participate um, in the C14, if that's, that's all they did, and, the, and they made the big mistake of taking only one sample instead of, you know, three, because you need to have control samples. You've got a 14 and a half foot long cloth, and you're taking one little sample and dividing it up into three and giving it to the three labs you don't know for sure if that's representative. That's why you should, they had suggested, the authorities or the experts had suggested taking at least three samples. And um, they originally were gonna do seven labs and they cut that down to three. An interesting note about those labs, okay? uh, Of the seven, the four that were eliminated are now out of business. The three that ended up doing the test are going strong and raking in millions. Hmm. Actually the C14 industry is a, is a multi-billion dollar Hmm. industry right now. So the fact that they were able to get the publicity from dating the shroud really helped those three labs. Um, But, you know, there was a lot of, there were a lot of problems with that test. I documented them in my, um,
0: Yep. And I've got that book right here. Uh, Very interesting. I I
1: found it fascinating. And um, absolutely. So don't let me interrupt you. Keep going. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I had 800 pages there. And then I I knew I was going to have additional material. So I dedicated a page um, on my website for overflow. And um, I have about 80 entries there. And then I thought just for a little more access. Um, I reproduced that supplement uh, as a separate article on Academia. So now I'm, I'm basically only updating the Academia article. So if the, the uh, my website page is mentioned in the book, as as you know, to so people can check that. But when they go to my my site, there it'll uh, redirect them to the mm. Academia article, so yep. they can get the latest information.
0: Yeah, the thing that, uh, if you don't mind, uh, let me uh, stop you there a second. Mm -hmm. Um, I really uh, did like uh, that book. And what I think was really good about it was that it showed uh, not only one side, but kind of both sides, and then also a a very... a very uh, good uh, uh, commentary on what actually happened in each of these different steps as the lead up took place to that 1988 carbon 14 testing. And one of the things that I really like about uh, your recent articles, and there's been three or four of them, there's the radiocarbon dating, and then uh, there's the, uh, the botany of the Turin Shroud, there's a sedarium of Oviedo, and then uh, some individual medical doctor's viewpoints and what I liked about them is you have then all of the different papers related to them, and like you said, with the uh, the hot links to that, and then so you can get uh, different opinions as to what's going mm-hmm. on there. And I think that's really key, especially you know to your point early on, which was that there are you know the anti-shroudists and then the uh, the the pro-shroudists, and I think you're right. The anti-shroudists, you know, they 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 put out three or four sentences and they think they're done. Mm-hmm. And they're, uh, like you said, the shroud is 2000 years of science uh, that needs to be studied and understood. And there's, I think there's probably, you know, a, a still a wealth of, uh, of knowledge that hasn't even been found yet that that is going to come out. So a lot going yeah. on in there.
1: Yeah, it's amazing to me that uh, as much new material still comes out considering, um, you know, Sturpe hasn't tested it since the 70s. And uh, they restored quote restored it in 2002. I mean, you don't normally restore relics, but that's a that's yeah. a whole no, whole another question. Yep. And um, the 88 test is in question. They only did the, the C14, you know. And and people, there's this misconception around C14 that it's practically uh, infallible and foolproof, and that is really nothing could be further than the truth because. Um, it can be very accurate, but people should remember that most objects that are uh, radiocarbon dated have been buried in the ground or whatever for hundreds or thousands of years. The shroud, as we know, has been you know, exposed in, 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 since the, at least the 1350s, so it's not your typical object that, the, for carbon dating, and there were a lot of warnings about, well... I mean, even if the if the image was caused by the resurrection and there was radiation involved, people were worried that uh, that could change the con- carbon content. And of course, there are a lot of current theories going around about the image formation that, that do deal with radiation. Um, I personally don't get too worked up about any of the theories because I think it's, you really can't reproduce <laughs> resurrection in a, in a, um, a laboratory. So uh, there's a lot of speculation involved. Although I, I must say, I did find the experiment that um, Paolo de Lazaro and his group did in about 2010 uh, over in Italy where they they zapped a, um, a control piece of, of linen with a, a ultraviolet excimer laser, and they uh, projected it onto the cloth for one forty billionth of a second, and they were basically able to produce um, the depth penetration and the coloration of the shroud. Um, that's no mean feat, you know, mm. um, because I mean, you know, even some of the skeptics have um, come up with some reproductions that aren't half bad. But they, you have to reproduce every single feature, right? Before right. you can even start saying this is how it could have been done, and nobody has done that yet. People generally, if they get the chemistry right, the physics is wrong, and and vice versa. But um, the interesting part about the De Lazzaro experiment is that to extrapolate that to a full cloth, um, they say there's not even enough energy on Earth right now to be able to accomplish that feat. So um, interesting. it might be a suggestion that uh, at least that radiation was involved, because they did um, duplicate the coloration and, and the depth penetration, which is one of the interesting features about the shroud, of course, because it's it's only on the top several thousandths of an inch of the fiber. It's very superficial, and um, the the image is uniform. Um, where where the image appears darker, it's not because the fibrils are darker. It's because there's more fibrils in that area. That that whatever caused the image uh, you know, it's, it's some people say de- oxidized and degraded cellulose. Right. Um, so how does an artist, you know, do that with one fiber? So the, in other words, one fiber might be dehydrated and the fiber next to it isn't.
0: Right. You know, right. there's
1: no way, to my way of thinking um, that a, that a medieval artist could um do that in the 15th century. You know, I my most recent or one of my most recent articles was um pertaining to um I'm losing my train of thought, sorry. <laughs> um but I, I've done several articles regarding how hard it is for um the artist uh, to duplicate the shroud and the, and you mentioned one of my medical articles as well. Um, And I've done, I have several articles about the doctors and I think it's interesting that um, quite a few doctors and uh, surgeons, 20th and 21st century doctors um, are convinced that it's authentic. They can basically do, autopsies on it. And I, just for an example, I take, uh, I often mention Dr. Buckland who was on the stir mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, the, the television program Quincy was kind of based on him. And then there was Dr. Zugeby. Mm-hmm. Um, and between them, I think they're both deceased. Um, but between them, they probably performed over 50,000 um, hmm. autopsies in their lives, and they were both convinced that Shroud's authentic. Yeah. And when you see doctor after doctor after doctor saying, this is a real crucified man, and, you know, they described the wounds. I mean, some skeptics make a big deal out of the fact that, um, you know, there's disagreement on exactly where the wrist wound came out or whatever you know you 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 get that as a matter of course anyway i mean you're never going to get to the point where everybody agrees on every single point even if if they're they're uh well you uh, don't even get full agreement you don't even get full
0: agreement that the earth is flat (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah there are still some flat earthers around today That's right (laughs) um Right. Yeah, so, I, and I liked your point about the eczema laser, you know, and uh, if that is a is a mechanism with radiation to be able to discolor the, the cloth in the way that it did, um, you know, that is, it, it's hard to believe that we're in a level of science that we're only able to, in a small piece, able to replicate with that laser, you know, a little bit of how this shroud might have been discolored, but then you have, you know, the whole thing about, well, how did, how does that radiation combine with the disappearance or the 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 removal of the body, or how did you know? How did that? How do those two things combine? And so we've got tons of science yet that needs to uh, take place, and and, I, and it may may even be that we never figure it out. It may be that. that and, be- and it may be that you know that's God's plan is uh, is that you know we're not supposed to figure it out. And, mm. And, uh, you know, we're, uh, as always, we're supposed to, you know, certainly have faith that, uh, you know, Jesus was uh, walked on the earth, and mm-hmm. he, he died, he was resurrected, and, uh, and you know, and all of the Bible uh, pieces that go with that.
1: Yeah. And I finally remembered what, where I lost my train of thought, I, I couldn't think of the, the name of the article I wanted to bring up, which is uh, the plethora of disciplines used in the study of the Shroud of Turin. And, I'm up to about 97 so far. (laughs) Um, And the point there is this is modern, well, some of the disciplines are old, history and theology and things like that. But a lot of the sciences I list, the disciplines are relatively recent. And could could an artist in the, the 14th century know enough about all those disciplines to be able to fool twentieth and twenty-first century um, scientists and researchers, I just really kind of doubt it. Um, I mean, to me, the 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 fact that it hasn't been reproduced, and I don't think it ever will, uh, is one of the strongest arguments about authenticity. And to your point about you know the faith I think I think God does want us to have room for faith so that the, there's always going to be um questions we'll never probably figure it out 100% but you know it's there and you know so many people are just uh, spend so much time uh you know John Jackson has surpassed 50 years studying the shroud and um you know Father Rinaldi mm. god rest his soul is was, was spent most of his life with it and um it's just an attraction you look at that face too it's it's like how could you know if it's the real thing there's a beauty and majesty in that face that I find so compelling and and it's so attractive despite the torture that the man went through. Right. Um and I I think a lot of the skeptics uh, come from it from um a worldview question, rather than a science question, um, they realize, whether consciously or not, that if the shroud's authentic, that's going to have implications for their worldview, and so it's just easier to sort of try to debunk it to assuage their their fear of, oh, what if 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 the shroud's real and Jesus was real and heaven is real. And I don't want to think about having, I could be in trouble, you know, and people generally don't want to change their worldview. So it's just easier to debunk it.
0: Well, that is a really good point because then uh, if, if it is true and if it's proven to be true and authentic, then those people that uh, don't believe it in, you know, in, I guess, in you'd have to say, don't believe in the Christian faith then that means that uh, their worldview is totally wrong. And then all of the, their whole, their whole, you know, psyche and everything has to be, has to be changed. Yes. And I wonder if that applies to as well, you know, not only Christians, but then you have, you know, Muslims do with that. How would that affect their, you know, their view, right. worldview? Uh, now, they certainly believe Jesus was a prophet, but to be a resurrected prophet, you know, what does that mean then for their religion, which is, you know, one of the closest, and then you have Judaism as well, which is certainly very close with, uh, you know, with, with with Christianity, and then, you know, you get into like Hindu, and I don't know, Confucian, and Buddhism, and some of the others, then, you know, what happens to those religions, to those, do they lose their worldview as well? Very interesting point. Very oh, interesting Yeah. Point. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the, well, of course, some of the Muslim um uh denominations, if that's the correct word, uh so sects, I guess, um believe that you know Jesus was substituted on the cross so that Jesus really didn't die. And some Hindu sects believe that um Jesus was taken down alive from the cross and you know revived in the tomb. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you get all sorts of stories, but you know, if you, if, again, if you go back to these doctors that, that have examined the image and have done 50,000 autopsies and they say the man was dead, you know, and Sterp concluded that it was the image of a, a real crucified man. There was real blood on it. Some skeptics say it was, you know, paint or iron oxide or something. Um, and it remained a mystery. Um, you know it's amazing how stirp studied it for five days around the clock, examined it you know firsthand, and all these people who have never even seen the cloth um you know think they know more than <laughs> than the stirp team that that build helped build nuclear bombs and put people on the moon when they weren't working on the shroud you know i think if there had been paint on the shroud i think those those guys and a a few gals on the team with them i think they would have been smart enough to uh define that paint but their their main mission was actually to um try to discover what caused the image right and so they they kind of failed at that because they they um they well, don't know what it was. They right. caused it.
0: Well, and that's what I like about science. Uh, well, like and dislike is that you know, in in most cases, science can never prove something to be true. They can only prove that a lot of things are false about it. Mm-hmm. And so, in in the STERP case. Uh, you know they weren't able to prove that this image was made in in whatever fashion but they were able to disprove that it was it was not paint it was not a dye it was not right. all of these other things and uh and so then it kind of narrows then the options that are kind of left that in terms of how that image could be made and that's what i like about uh, science and i also like uh, you know, the kind of the adversarial nature of science. It's kind of like, well you get an article that says we believe this and then somebody, then another scientist says, well, I think you made a mistake in that and here's why, but then here's then what comes out of that. And you kind of have this yeah. this ladder of increasing knowledge and increasing value that can really lead to uh, you know to uh, good knowledge as it relates to the authenticity of the shroud.
1: Mm. Yeah, and to that point, another um, recent article uh, I did, in fact, it is my most recent article, um, has to do with um, articles and journals. I had written an article about all the peer reviewed articles about the Shroud. And uh, I explained this in my new article. An archaeologist who um, is involved in Shroud research wrote to me and he said, you know, basically that peer review don't doesn't have the same meaning that it did in the, the before the internet age. Mm. Um you know when STERP did their work um they published their findings in about two dozen peer reviewed journals. Nowadays the whole peer review question is really muddied by uh, vanity publishing and mm. pay to these journals that say they're peer reviewed, but in all you have to do is pay them and they'll, they'll print your thing and they might not even really have anybody look at it too much, but it's still termed peer review. Uh, so it's it's kind of unfortunate that um, that has been muddied a bit, but uh, I guess uh, it's a double, the internet's a double-edged sword. It, it helps spread Knowledge about the shroud faster, but you, you have to learn to, to separate the, the wheat from the chaff. But, um, you know, and a lot of the old journals like um, Applied Optics and, and ones like that, Thermochemica Acta, uh, articles that were around before mm-hmm. the internet age, those are really the um, the best journals to, to yeah, find the most yeah, accurate information. Yeah. And one of my articles is is all the articles, shroud related articles that the STRP team uh, did. So that it would include their 24 uh, papers that they did up until about 1984, and then some of the guys stayed active and, and wrote some further articles. So I expanded it, but. Uh, Barry Schwartz has um, also has every single one of those 24 original STIRP articles, um, a hot link on his site as well. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. have it in my article. And that's, I would recommend that for anybody um, that really wants to look at the, the background of, of the science on the shroud, they really need to start with those because those are the guys that studied it directly Yep. and most of the shroud research to this day is is kind of based on on their work. Yeah, um, it's not easy sledding, but people really need to go there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I you know I, you're right about uh, kind of the I don't know the democratization of uh, research, and you know the internet certainly has value in terms of making it making the knowledge widely available. But uh, to your point, it has also I don't know if I'd call it corrupted, but certainly reduced many of mm-hmm. the peer-reviewed papers of the, the quality that you know some of the other ones might have been like uh, in some of the publications you were talking about. Mm-hmm. and uh, but on the other hand, you know one of the things though I think that really comes out of the democratization is you do get a lot of interesting ideas and, um, and new thinking of people that you know they're not trained in science uh, necessarily and they're not necessarily trained in but they you know they, they end up spending a lot of brain power and thinking about, one little thing. And all of a sudden, an interesting idea might come up mm-hmm. or, and, uh, or they may find, uh, you know, maybe they go off and they they go to the library in uh, based on and, and they, uh, you know, find a couple of articles there that date back to, uh, you know, some of the activities that were taking place then. And, and, uh, you know, and that I think that has real value. And I still think, uh, you know, there's a lot of value yet, in uh and hopefully it hasn't been destroyed but potentially even in Antioch and Syria uh you know there might be some writings that have been hidden away or whatever there might be some writing and writings yeah. in uh, in Persia that have to do with you mm-hmm. know Edessa and stuff like that so I still think there's a lot of stuff to be discovered about the shroud
1: yeah and I I, I saw something in the literature recently that I probably had seen at some point, but it didn't strike me, but I saw it again. the, the fact that uh, during the Fourth Crusade, when, when the Shroud was apparently uh, stolen in 1204, the Crusaders also destroyed the, the library at Constantinople. Hmm. And you can't help but wonder if there was, you know, the, the Shroud had probably been in Constantinople uh, since 944. So there's 300 years or almost 300 years Um, where there might've been documents in that library that could have told us a lot about the shroud and the documents got destroyed. Um, You know, the the hardcore historians always want primary documents and you can understand that. That's their Mm -hmm. discipline. That's how they do history. But I often make the point that, you know, history really isn't enough because let's face it, historical documents could be lost manipulated or never written down in the first place Mm -hmm. so uh, you have to be careful about overvaluing the need of primary historical documents you know in a court of law they allow circumstantial evidence because you don't always have all the direct evidence that you want you know and there's just so many um, avenues to um, study the shroud, and again, if the people go to that that article about the ver- the various disciplines, um, it's mind blowing how many different disciplines yeah. have been used to to look at the shroud. And as science and technology gets gets more advanced, there'll probably be more new um, techniques used including and and there's a good chance i think that um as far as the dating of the shroud goes you know julio fonti has has come up with about four different uh, new dating methods um all of which in his eyes kind of suggest that the shroud is first century now uh, one has to say that those methods are are all pretty new Mm -hmm. and not test, you know, time tested really yet to the degree where you could say, oh yeah, the, um, it's, we can trust these. But who knows, you know, 25, 50 years down the road, they may be commonplace. And if the shroud is allowed to have more testing, um, they'll probably yeah. use the new methods rather than the C-14, especially given they had, there were so many problems with the old C-14, I can't see them doing another one. But um, we have to get a Pope first that <laughs> will allow some testing. Yeah. who knows when that will be?
0: Well I guess too the uh, the problem with the C14 is that it's destructive and um, you know right. it, as opposed to something that might be able to be either less destructive or it only destroys you know a tiny tiny little bit and because uh, it's you know you think about the shroud it you know being potentially being 2,000 years old to actually cut a little you know one inch square and destroying it it, you know Mm. it's and then worse than that if you wanted to take it right from where the image is you would destroy Mm. the image right and uh so it's uh it's it's definitely a trade-off between you know Mm. how it's done and and uh you know in this picture behind my shoulder here is uh, one of the exhibitions of the uh of the shroud and and, you know, you can see how the carbon 14 dating could have been uh, not manipulated, but certainly, uh, you know, corrupted by all mm-hmm. of the handling that took place when they were holding onto the shroud in the, you know, in the corners and stuff like that. But uh, so, you know, if the science, like Giulio Fonti is talking about, can start to bring, mm-hmm. you know, different methods together that uh, stand, withstand the test of time, uh, then that would be, uh, that would be fantastic. And uh, and I don't know. You're right. I mean, uh, hopefully there will be a pope that will allow some additional testing here at some point.
1: Sure. To that that point about the exhibitions, um, in centuries past, they they exhibited the shroud much more often than they do now. And I think there's a, there were at least 275 exhibitions. Another one of my articles uh, recounts. Mm-hmm. Um, the specific places and years that that those took place but if you're talking about 275 exhibitions and the and the bishops holding it on that corner each time at the very least um it it indicates that those corners were going to need some repair yeah and um, yeah. i think there's a good chance based on ray rogers work and some other people that he gave his uh, samples too that confirmed it, including a group of nine at Los, As- Los Alamos National Laboratories. You know, the they suggested that um, they found, they didn't suggest that they found, they did find um, gum, dye, yep, yep. Um, uh, cotton, and even a splice thread of linen and cotton. Now the, the shroud is linen all over except for that corner and there's cotton there and, there. and people say, well, why would there be cotton? Well, cotton takes dye mm. much better than the linen does. Mm. So, um, you know, I asked the question, you know, because people contest the idea that there was a repair there. And it's like, okay, well, if there wasn't a repair there, explain to me why you have all the ingredients there that you would need for a repair. You just, you know, you can't. In science, you just can't say, "I like my theory and I don't like yours, so I'm going to ignore yours." <laughs> um, you have to explain data. And um, I'm, I'm kind of excited. I'm, I'm um, planning on updating uh, a paper I gave in Canada in um, 2019 on the reweave. Um, and I was—I felt I was thrilled because they gave me about—I think it was about an hour and a half—to um, deliver that paper. So he, the organizer, wanted me to give some background on how my late wife and I came to that. So I was able to put in a lot of detail that I mm. normally mm. couldn't deal with. But I, you know, in a scientific conference, you—you you, most conferences you—you you don't have the luxury of of. giving that much background but um i am updating it and um i might be invited to a a conference in mexico later this year um so i i would probably present it there and um Mm -hmm. i think it's it's possibly planned for or they're thinking about it i should say for mexico city in the fall of 2022 um if i don't give it there i'm hoping um that i can give it some time in 2023 but i, I think yeah. if if people look at the evidence and i've got a my my 2019 paper is on my academia page so they can see what's there now um i think the evidence is very strong that there's a repair yeah. there
0: yeah I, I i think you're right i mean and, and plus you know if you think about you know the, the jewish burial custom and uh, and just cloth in general that it has to be pure Um, and, uh, you know, so the, the original cloth would have had to have been hundred percent linen. And then how could you then have cotton in the corner without it having had been repaired? So it, it, it certainly, you know, kind of suggests that there was repair there, and then that would be a good reason why the, the carbon dating that was run, the carbon dating may have actually been done absolutely correctly. It was the sample either uncleaned yeah. or p- improperly cleaned or repaired that, uh, then distorted the true results. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, and then only taking it from one location to your point, yeah. instead of taking it in different locations to where there, you know, might be, uh, you know, pure linen, or there might be, uh, you know, no repairs and stuff like that.
1: Well, um, here, you know, about, I, this is a good po- uh, place for me to make a, important point about that c14 and and the, the labs uh, reputation and whatnot I, you're absolutely right they actually may have gotten close to the date of the sample that they were given however there was so many screw-ups as documented in my 800 page book <laughs> yeah. that based on that i wouldn't trust any date they got and, and, and this is easy to say, because it didn't come out first century. But if they had come out with first century, just based on the 800 pages of screw ups that they did, I wouldn't be too confident that they got the first century date, right? <laughs> I, you know, now then here, we're talking psychology and stuff. And I actually wrote, I've got a separate article on, on my academia page about psychological factors that affect our belief about the shroud and I think there's like 12 or 13 different things like cognitive dissonance and different things and we're all no let's face it nobody is is totally non-biased right we all come to the shroud and our belief about anything with preconceptions our our culture our environment all those um affect how we believe something but the best you can do is try to minimize uh, biases as best one can. And if you look at the shroud and you see hundreds and hundreds of people over hundreds and hundreds of years believing it's authentic, despite the fact that they might agree on points A, B, or C, I think that's impressive. Um, you know. I think we accept a lot of things as fact in the world that have tons less evidence (laughs) than what we have on the shroud, but because the shroud has that religious aspect to it, we, we almost make special rules for it. You know, that, um, it just like the, the C-14 if, if C-14 doesn't agree with other, forms of dating on another object, they just throw the C14 date out, even if they don't know what caused it. But in the case of the shroud, skeptics especially wanna keep that one piece of data and throw out the hundreds and yeah. hundreds of other pieces yeah. of data. Um, that, that's not real science to do it that way. And again, that points back, I think, to what I mentioned about the worldview that they're happy to have a fake shroud over an authentic shroud and so we'll we'll bend the rules a little bit and we'll we'll keep the carbon 14 and throw out all the other evidence that points to authenticity so what
0: you're saying is that they're biased
1: (laughs) uh yeah i i I would say that those people have not minimized their biases (laughs) quite as well as they should have at this point but you know people are going to on the other hand people are going to say i'm biased but i do have to say um when i first when i read my first book on the shroud in 1977 i was totally agnostic about uh well agnostic religiously and i was agnostic about the authenticity of the shroud i i read the book with a completely open mind and based on the evidence that i read in that book in 1977 which of course was be- before all the data that stirp produced mm-hmm. I thought the evidence back then was strong enough to think that the shroud was probably authentic. And then now I had 45 years of additional research and there's absolutely nothing that has changed my mind about it being authentic. And I I just believe based on the evidence, a scientific evidence, and, and I have to say, um, um, There's other aspects. There's the religious aspect. Um, I've actually had what I would determine to be uh, religious experiences related to the Shroud, and that's part of my basis for for believing it's real. And, of course, that's kind of the opposite end in a way. I don't think science and religion are totally mutually exclusive, but let's face it, in science you look for proof, and in religious experiences and stuff, normally, unless it's a, you know, a phenomena that are, that can be observed by other people, um, it's often a internal or, you know, personal experience, and and that's the sort of experiences that I had that somebody looking at me might not see a phenomenon, but I've had an experience that to me, is proof, but I can't prove it to them.
0: Right, right, right. No, and I think uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people have had exactly that, and uh, and you know, and 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 how how can you you know potentially prove it in a in a scientific way, and you know, and I think you're right too. Since uh, '77 and '78, certainly with Sterp, and and that explosion of scientific research that's now t- gone on about the Shroud is. And it, and then, like I said uh, before, we we got started is that there definitely seems like there's an acceleration of of people getting interested again in the shroud and and um, you know and uh, and I've, I've got to break off here in a little bit, but the uh, you know the radiocarbon dating definitely uh, tripped up a lot of shroudists and uh, it slowed a lot of the research down. But I think now over the last You know, as I see all the papers that you're doing and everything else, it's, you know, it's picking right back up again. And it's, it seems to be going on in a a big way. And, and I run into new people that are doing new Mm. things with it and they're investing Mm. time and money and effort and their brain powers into, into, uh, into the shroud and trying to learn more about it.
1: Yeah. I, um, I, I just found, came across a new article last night in my most, uh, that I put in my most recent posting of what you're calling my newsletter. Um, it's really, it's it's periodical alerts about the latest Shroud news articles, videos, podcasts. And somebody contacted me and said that they had um, written an article about the C14 um, uh, testing. And boy, he, um, he gave me the site and I was really impressed. I mean, I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Um, but I'm really looking forward to, um, to reading that. And he goes in quite a bit of detail about my own, uh, reweave theory and also some of the radiation theories that, that posit that, um, the radiation might've been the thing that, that threw off the C-14 dating. So yeah, if, if any, anybody interested in, in, um, doing shroud research, there's plenty of room and, uh, Plenty of topics and plenty of yep. disciplines to, to to you know attack it by, um, and we'd love to see more people uh, yeah. come on in and and try their expertise at it and and add to the knowledge base because join the party yeah join the absolutely. party absolutely
0: absolutely yeah. well and and with that actually one of the things I want to do is uh, with and I'll just put a plug in for a couple of other ones and would love to get you back is uh, is. There's, there's clearly different questions, you know, that you can really spend almost an hour talking about, and, well, hours, you know, yeah. there was, uh, uh, you know, the son and the Troyes, and was there a shroud there? Was it a fake? Was it the real one? There's a whole topic on that. Um, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to have i uh, I'm going to have the historian of the Royal Mint, and we're gonna talk about Byzantine coins, Wow. And all the coinage that was done and mm-hmm. made based on the shroud, and how that could, mm-hmm. uh, you know, have how it, what he learned, and then what we can maybe, you know, use mm-hmm. to, to add to the, the knowledge base on on just the coinage in the, in you know over time on that. So yeah. definitely looking forward to that. And I think you know as as time progresses, there'll be a whole lot of different topics mm-hmm. that you can really get pretty deeply in, and and definitely look at both sides. I think mm-hmm. you know even on the, the paper that you have on on the uh, base on sun shroud. There's clearly two sides there and and mm-hmm. I, I think that's incredibly valuable to, to see both sides and then hopefully that'll lead to even further research to you know maybe you know either enhance one side and, and right. reduce one side or whatever it doesn't really matter but at some point you know just to get closer and closer and closer to that truth is is where I think we're all trying to head to
1: Yeah, I think it's important to I'm not afraid to uh, present the skeptics arguments because I, I really feel like. Um, there is positive research that can explain or, or counter any argument yeah. that the skeptics yeah. come up with. So, I think a lot of the the skeptics cherry pick what they want to say in terms of points that they think disprove the shroud, but they they ignore many that point toward authenticity. So, I think it is important to try to yeah. give a balanced view if you can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, uh, let's uh, close it out here. And uh, again, thank you, Joe. It's always so good to talk with you, and and I learn something every day. And I am so impressed with how much you've been writing and uh, and 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 adding to the to the knowledge base on on the shroud. And uh, you've definitely, when I get your newsletter and when I get your look at your papers, I I, I learn more every time. So definitely, uh, really appreciate that. Uh, and then so for, the, uh, for those of you listening, Joe's got a wealth of information and he puts out a, a newsletter and that newsletter can be found at jmarino240 at aol.com, jmarino240 at aol.com. And, and there's always uh, good stuff on there to, uh, you know, to sink your teeth into. Other than that, please stay tuned for many other videos in this series on the backstory of the Shroud of Turin. Please visit GuyPowell.com and sign up for more episodes. And if you like this one, please uh, rate it with five stars. Joe, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Guy. And I really appreciate all these videos you're doing uh, because I've learned a lot from the various guests you've had.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that.